when you spread joy like that, it people want to to just unite and work together better. They don't want to divide. So then the soul diminishing is the opposite. It divides people, it isolates them, it makes them hate other groups. Um, it, it, it encourages vice. It tells people that, you know, to dis mistrust everybody. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers and Googleization show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back everyone to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a show from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine your tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. On this episode, you're going to hear from leadership and competency expert Marie Gervais. Marie has, got, has a brand new book out. We're excited to, to learn a lot more about it. I've read part of it, The Spirit of Work. Uh, timeless wisdom and current realities for every business leader, HR professional, and manager asking how they can put the humanity back into HR. You're going to want to stop right now and listen. So just let us set the stage here a little bit. Gallup released their State of the Workplace 2022 report last week, and it's creating quite a buzz uh, in, our, in, in the HR and leadership world. The results are really eye-opening and jaw-dropping. So according to the, the world's workers, say that twice fast, world's workers, 60% of employees are emotionally detached. 60% of employees are emotionally detached at work. 19% said they are miserable. 31% reported they were angry yesterday when they took the survey. 57% said they're not thriving and not engaged, and only 9% are thriving, said they are thriving and engaged. So it, it reminds me of a quote that comedian George Carlin once said, oh, you hate your job? Why didn't you say so? There's a support group for that. It's called everybody. They meet at the bar. <laughs> now, now, Carlin's joke works, not because it's funny, but because it's true. And if anyone needed a, a reason to fix this, listen up. According to Gallup, business units with engaged workers, with engaged workers, have 23% higher profit compared with business units with miserable workers. Ira, I absolutely love the George Carlin reference. And sadly, those findings you just shared from Gallup, those are alarming. And I think it just goes to show that this uninspiring sentiment toward employers, it's not just happening in low-wage jobs anymore. I mean, just yesterday, uh, if you were watching headlines, heard the news, there's thousands of Southwest airline pilots who are protesting outside of Love Field in Dallas yesterday, and they're protesting because of being overworked and understaffed. And then j just this last weekend, where there were thousands of flights canceled and delayed, it just feels like there's a new inflation, labor market or supp supply chain issue, gas prices, baby formula, restaurant, drive through lines. It's almost like every month there's something new that comes up that's a disruption to our lives. 
and I'm not sure if you or, or many of our listeners use Reddit at all, but there's a community there that I follow called Anti-Work. That's the name of the community is uh, Anti-Work on Reddit. There are now more than 2 million members of this community on Reddit, Ira. And to put that in context, that would be nearly equivalent to the whole population of Houston, Texas. And here's a short description of that community. It's a community for those who want to end work, are curious about ending work, want to get the most out of a work-free life, want more information on anti-work ideas, and want personal help with their own jobs and work-related struggles. And some of the things that you'll see in that community that get posted are things that support unionization, they support social enterprise, stakeholder capitalism, and decreasing the ever-growing wage gap between CEOs and staff, just to name a, a few of the topics. And it makes me think that the name of the community shouldn't be anti-work. It should be anti-sucky work environments. <laughs> Most of these folks aren't averse to meaningful work where they're treated fairly and set up for success. What they're averse to are toxic cultures and bosses. And so I can't wait to hear from Marie today as she dives into her new book, The Spirit of Work, to help us reimagine what work can and should be in our lives. And before we bring Marie on, I just want to uh, remind everybody that uh, if you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization, you can now get SHRM credits, uh, anywhere between a half to a full credit. Uh, you can, for those who are watching, let me see if I can find this just a second here. There we go. Uh, you can uh, basically look at the QR code, take a snapshot of that, uh, or you can reach out to Jason and myself, and we will be happy to send you the link uh, to fill out a quick evaluation form, and then we will send you the activity ID. And then also we want to make sure, we want to thank everybody who is already a member of Googleization Nation. And if you're not, uh, please uh, reach out to us uh, and you can go to googleizationnation.com and subscribe uh, to our community. And we really appreciate that. And then finally, if you if you like what you hear, please, please let us know and let others know by leaving a, a rating and a review on your, your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Amazon. I really, really appreciate that. So this seems like a pretty good time to bring our guest on. Dr. Marie Gervais holds a PhD in culture and learning in the workplace. Uh, through her leadership training, she's coached more than 500 supervisors, managers, business owners for business and career success. She hosts a really, really good podcast, so I encourage you to go listen to it. It's called the Culture and Leadership Connections Podcast, and it has interviews with a whole variety of diverse leaders in a variety of in, in many different professions. Uh, her, she has a lot of publications She's it, across different industries and academic journals. Topics include some of our favorite, Jason, future of work, workplace communication, productivity, and psychological safety in the workplace. So Marie is a perfect guest to be on Geek Skeezers and Googleization. So let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to Dr. Marie Gervais. And I'm going to take that away so we can see her face. Welcome, Marie. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of your absolutely fabulous show. We're excited to have you, Marie. This is going to be a fun discussion today. And one, obviously, that's very timely with everything going on in the world right now. Yes. So, Marie, let's let's just dive into it because your your book title was interesting when we first connected, and I, I don't remember how we actually we we actually did that, but the spirit of work, 
And I had, you know, had to think what that meant. But as you heard the introduction and many things going on, the spirit of work has sort of left. Um, it, I mean, it's in, it's in sad, sad shape. And, and I particularly like the subtitle, Timeless Wisdom and Current Realities, because we are, there's a lot of employers living in la-la land. And or, or many employers think they're living in La La Land uh, because it, it's almost unrecognizable where it is. So, what tell us a little bit what led up to writing the book, uh, the inspiration for that, and then you know what spirit of work is 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 about. Well, although I didn't know it at the time, about thirty years ago, I had an experience with reflecting on work that just led me to think I have to write about this, and uh, the experience was that I was in a graduate course uh, using arts-based research to communicate in ways that affect people's hearts, not just their, their minds. And so I had, to, um, I had to put together something that involved uh, no language uh, and photography, and then something that would involve multimedia. So I, I interviewed two immigrant families who did not speak English and I didn't speak their language by looking at their family photo albums. And in those family photo albums, they had lots of pictures of them going through you know, career, various different career moments and with their work crews and, and whatever. Um, and through sign language and, you know, more photos, we ended up having, putting uh, this piece together. And then the other piece was me reflecting on a very bad experience that I had with, um, with an employer where I was hired to uh, basically groom somebody else. I didn't know it to groom somebody else into a position that paid five times more than what I was paid to train the guy. And he was subsequently fired six months later for misconduct and many other things because not I didn't create the misconduct. He was a bad hire. And uh, I knew that from the beginning and several times that there's, I have some red flags about this guy, but uh, the employer just said, oh, keep working with him because you have a great job coming up in the future. And then of course I lost my job and he got promoted and subsequently fired. And so I had this really bad experience. And so I did this multimedia presentation with two uh, work. And then I had two red hands, uh, painted red hands against a brick wall. Um, like that you can't get through, you, you expect to be working and you can't get through. And the immigrant families that came to see their display spent about five minutes on theirs. And then they spent all this time looking at mine. And so did all the other people that had come to see the, dis the display from the course, because it was there was a lot, there were a lot of people that were there. And they were talking about how ang how much angst they had about work and how they'd been deceived and betrayed and people were crying and the immigrants who you know we're still connecting through sign language because google translate hadn't been invented yet and they're going you know their heart and they're going to me my heart and they're going like this and they're going like this and they're going we get it <laughs> and i thought this is kind of a transformative moment and that happened 30 years ago and the book then took place a lot later and so marie with that experience then you created this idea of the spirit of work and can you help dive us into some of the meteor components of that book in terms of what we're in right now and all the shift that we're dealing with around the world regarding supply chain regarding people's sentiment toward work what are some of the the pieces in your book that can help us get things back on the right track well in the very beginning I, I go through a little brief history of what went wrong with work, which is starting with the Industrial Revolution. We started to see people as disposable, commodifi commodifiable um, entities, and it just went downhill from there. But there's more in the book. But um, so, and that's where we stopped. And maybe we never really did see people who were not like us as people with souls and minds and hearts and bodies that mattered, um, and belonging to communities that had anything to teach us. So we've probably never been there. But there was maybe some modicum of at least the people that are in the, my in group. 
uh, are worthy of respect. I don't know if that's if we've reached a breaking point there um, as well. So uh, the spirit of work offers three different perspectives to help us see work from different lenses. For the, so the first perspective, which is the timeless wisdom part, is about it's sacred texts from the world religions, as many as I could find um, that pertained to work and work attitudes and what we need to do to succeed at work. And I was absolutely amazed by what I found. Um, you know, for example, things from Hinduism, which is like 6,000 years old, that if we'd even applied one of those principles, um, one of them is called to pack up and move on. Don't hold on to old stories. <laughs> this is something people are talking about in all of the uh, self-development literature right now. And that's 6,000 years it's been in existence. We haven't, we haven't put it into practice yet. So just to give you an idea. So that's a really significant part. And then, um, uh, and then the other part is what has science taught us about, about what we need to be well and whole at work? And then the third part is what business stories can help us see what we shouldn't do and what we should do. What are, where are the glimmers of hope? Um, so instead of just, you know, dissing bad employers or just saying these guys are perfect, it's more like going to the middle road and looking for both. So those three lenses together comprise the focus of the book. It has a lot of stories in it. Um, it has really useful frameworks that you can apply practically as well. And, uh, and then I look at five main topics. First one is bring your soul to work, bring your mind to work, bring your body to work, bring your heart to work, and you are bringing your community to work. Do you know who you're bringing? So, and that's where we talk about um, inequity and um, uh, uh, justice and courage and things like that at the very end. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the book in a nutshell. That's great. And I'm curious, often when we talk about these types of subjects, you know, Ira and I and most of our listeners, they're on board, but are there ever people who are skeptical of thinking, oh, this is too much heart stuff in terms of executives being like, yeah, but is this actually going to affect, you know, like bottom line numbers? Have you ever run across executives like that or companies like that that are really kind of reactive to doing this type of work? And if you have, have you come across any helpful tactics or, or tools that kind of help get them over to hump to realize this is your business strategy? Your people are the most important thing. So have you ever run across any uh, kind of like resistance, and then what have you done to help get over that with with certain companies or executives? Oh, of course. Um, the the biggest resistance is pe just people just dis being dismissive and saying, "Oh yeah, who needs that?" Um, the other one would be, uh, "Yeah, but does this make does do people even do people even care?" Um, but that mostly doesn't happen when I before COVID hit. When I first started doing the research for the book, that's when I start. I got some more pushback, and I said, "Well, we'll see what the book is like, and then if you're interested, you can read it, and if not." I mean, it's a free, you have your free, the freedom of choice. Uh, you don't have to invest any time in it. Um, and I didn't try to convert them to my point of view, because that's usually a useless endeavor anyway. And um, basically, if you look at things from a marketing perspective, you're looking for people who are your target audience, not the people who don't care. Um, so, so you can spend a lot of time trying to bring someone over who's not really going to be interested, or you can look for the people that care and then build from there. Um, so that's basically what I did. Uh, but people ask me at every single interview, so what are you doing to get this, bring the CEOs over? What are you doing to pull these people in? What are you doing to convert everybody? And I'm mean, nothing because people will come along when they're ready. Uh, and if you start with yourself and start with the people that are near you, that's where that's where all the action takes place. Before COVID, I got more of that sort of thing. But since COVID, people are hungry. They're just so hungry. They go, oh, I can hardly wait. Is there a book club? Um, can I buy five? Like, there's like, I had this moment and I feel like I'm a different person. And it's, it's amazing. 
You know, I mean, people call me to ask about supervisory leadership for people that are working in a mine. And then they go, you know, I wanted to talk to you about the meaning of life. And like that never happened to me before, but it does now. So I think there's been a shift in people's consciousness. That probably doesn't answer your question, but that's what I've noticed. No, it does beautifully. And I think it ties into a lot of the the data that Ira just shared with us around the state of the workforce that Gallup just released last week. Yeah. It's interesting, Jason, that you brought that up. And then Marie, your perspective on that as well. I was in a conversation yesterday with um, actually he's, a, he's the owner of a HR tech company. And he said, by the way, were you at the, the annual SURE meeting uh, that they just held down in New Orleans? And, and I had I, I didn't go this year. And I said, well, how was it? What did you think? And he said, you know, he says, I was really disappointed uh, that I, when you walked around the floor of, of all the vendors that are out there, and it really is that one meeting where everybody comes together, he said, it was all this fluff stuff. He says, I don't get it. I mean, he was talking about diversity and inclusion and wellness and, you know, bringing the whole person and putting the age back in humanity. He said, he says, I went to see all the HR tech stuff and it wasn't there. So there's, there's obviously it's adjacent to, to answer your question is obviously there's a, there's a lot of people who resist it uh, or, or people that, that have their mindset that either technology or the good old days are going to return, you know, we're going to get back to normal and, and uh, people will come to them senses and realize that a job is just a, you know, a good paycheck. We pay you well, we cover your health care, and so be happy. Well, first off, there never were there never were any good old days. That's just a figment of our imagination. And if, if we had a good moment, uh, and it was probably particular to our race and social status uh, that allowed us that opportunity. So and, and then we can never go back. There is no going back to anything. You don't go back to being in your mother's womb. You don't go back. You only move forward. And if, the, and if you stop moving, you die. So going back is so impossible because even just stopping moving means you die. So moving forward is the only way. And so it's a, what could, what, if this is what's in the data, if people are talking about diversity, if people are talking about wellness, well, that's the, what, the path forward. And if I refuse to admit it, then I am in the stagnation place that it's heading towards being, you know, being obsolete. No, I, I don't want to get too off track here, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I appreciate that all the time about going back to normal is, is there is no such thing. Uh, and, you know, I, I gave a presentation out uh, basically in, in Jason's home state, uh, Indiana, not too long ago. And it was really interesting in the reviews because they talked about, in a, in a way, is going back to normal. When we talk about that, will we, would we go back? And I talked about women going back to what their place was in that time, if you went back 50 or 60 years ago, you know, the place was is that only one and a half percent of the pop of the of the population who went to college was women. Only one out of three women were actually in the workplace. Women didn't hold degrees. Women couldn't go to Ivy League schools. And one of the one of the responses I got was, why were you demeaning women? Like we made so much progress. And I go, I don't understand the comment. I mean, really, it was you've made this much comment. Why would you want to go back? To the way it was uh, when when you talked about that, uh, we talked about lynching. You know, lynchings. I mean, segregation. I mean, th there was a lot of really ugly things in our history. That why would you want to go back to that? And and we want to be selective, and you know, and what the experience is for people who you know are poor or live in a city or rural. Uh, you know, normal for urban was very different. City dwellers was very different from what normal was for people living in in 
in the mid states or even in Canada. I mean, our cultures, our life, our, our you know, even about gun, about gun control, uh, about education, about violence. Um, you know, very very different cultures. So what's normal in Canada, where you where your home is, Marie, uh, is very different than what the culture is in, in many parts of the United States. And perhaps we haven't made that much progress anyway, because what used to be normal in schools was that you, teachers and parents would beat their children. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely sad. So we need to bring back the spirit of work. But I, it, it's very interesting because the the whole idea of work related to a job of going to work, we we um, as as a, a civilization or maybe a society, not as a civilization, but a society, especially in in most developed countries think of this was you know when man from adam and eve is they went to work uh, the the concept of work and jobs is really only started uh in the industrial age uh maybe in in the mid 1850s uh later than that when they built factories because people didn't go to work they got up and they farmed yeah there were there were, there were a few people that that had stores and retail and maybe they went to work um, but our whole life was not geared around getting up and going to work and getting a paycheck. It was also geared towards what was necessary for survival and what was purposeful. So, and if you just even look at sort of cave, cave dwellers, people made tools as soon as they had um, a little bit of safety uh, from saber-toothed tigers, they made those tools beautiful. They didn't make a tool that was ugly or, you know, that they'd mass produce. They made a beautiful, useful tool that was going to last. So um, it's that it's the idea is work is needs to be purposeful, and it also has to meet our our needs. So that that that's part of the spirit of work is that we need to have those two things in balance. So what so I mentioned before about HR tech and and obviously tech technology is everywhere. We're, we're using technology now. We wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do this. I remember 20, 21 years ago, I had an AM radio show and it consisted of picking up the phone at 7 a.m. in the morning and interviewing you or, or, or a guest. And then two weeks later, I'd get the cassette tape of the recording. And then I had to copy that. I mean, that was that was early on. So I'm grateful that we can do this live and where you can record it and have this conversation and it's and it's a synchronous uh, experience and we can get so many more listeners than we did before. But even healthcare, I mean, we, we won't go into the specifics, but we were talking about healthcare before. I mean, you know, we, we're living longer lives and, and procedures that were either rare or risky, you know, are now routine. They're literally drive through and it allows us to to do everything from you know, have have longer quality of lives to be able to see better, to feel better, to um, to again to to experience life to its fullest. And yet, when it comes to work, we seem to still go back to the old-fashioned ways. Um, you know, and there are many managers and leaders and and that that concept of um, you know paying by the hour or paying you know or what even hours are you know set hours. I mean, there's this really struggle now with with in-person, you know, basically coming to the office, we want to go back to having a set schedule, you know, where work doesn't get done on a set schedule. The only reason it was a set schedule before is when sun rose and sun set, <laughs> you know, that because it was an agricultural base. Schools are still based on an agricultural time clock. Uh, of you get up when the sun goes, you know, rises and, and, and you send them home because that's when they, they had to go back into the fields. Uh, you know, that's long, long gone. But there's a role for technology, 
I mean, there's, there's benefits to using technologies. Where do you see technology fitting into this spirit of work? Well, you don't have any trouble convincing me about technology and how important it is. I'm grateful every day for all the technology that I have um, at, at my fingertips. So that um, the the thing for me though is that um, technology, when it first when we first realized that we could use technology to manipulate and control people's buying patterns, um, then and that we could actually in, encourage addictions then that, that was really the whole thrust. And I remember a number of years ago when I was looking for an investor for, um, for, for a management develop, manager development game that I was trying to create, that people kept saying, well, you know, it's got educational value. Who cares about education? If we can't addict them, we don't want, we don't want to, we're not going to put any money into it. And that has changed because people started to see that they could use technology for healthcare. They could use technology for all sorts of things. I mean, think about doing haptic surgery, you know, millions of miles away, that, that, that there was that. And then now, now there's a huge thrust for using technology for good, for helping people to change their habits. Uh, at, for example, learning to take medication on a regular basis and things like that, um, and, and their belief systems. Uh, and so I think that technology is, is really exciting and interesting, but it's not a default to solve problems. And what we've tended to do is to go, oh, um, we have a problem. Let's throw let's throw a software at it. Um, we have a problem. Let's buy a new machine. Uh, let's let's update our our, our laptops. Um, you know, we're, maybe we're just not using the right social media. And that that's that's the wrong default. The first default is. Um, is this meaningful and purposeful for people? Can they engage with it? Are they excited about it? Uh, does it meet their needs and the needs of the company? And how does this work? And you're you're basically writing it out and sketching it in and trying it. And then you go, ah, this is the technology tool that would help. What? It hasn't been invented yet. Let's get on that, right? So, but if you start by saying, let's just throw some technology at it, which is still, I think, the um, attitude of a lot of software engineers because they love developing the technology. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily meet the need. So we have to start with what's the need? Uh, what, what do we want to see change? Uh, how can we experiment with it first? And then find the, the right technology for the right fit. So that would be my, my take on it. Marie, I love that. And I know we've got to uh, take a quick break here in just a minute, but digital transformation, um, you know, someone who works in a technology company, I just want to echo your sentiment they, there and say, listeners, listen to what Marie is telling you. Uh, if you're an HR leader and you're responsible for buying technology that's used for initiatives and programs that come out of your uh, office, your department, don't just go out and buy a technology solution that does like recognition or something that does performance management. Take a step back before you start looking at vendors and put together a digital transformation strategy to shape the vision of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And then try to find as few solutions as possible to make it a better experience for the people who use it. Because typically what happens, Ira and I talked about this in another episode is just like you go to CVS and you buy one pack of gum and you end up with a receipt that's like three feet long. That's what the HR tech stack looks like because many times the strategy is disjointed. It's more of a reactionary approach of, hey, we went to a convention and we heard we should be doing some stuff on engagement. And we also heard we should be doing DEI. We also heard we should be doing stuff around one-to-ones. We also heard we should be doing fill in the blank. And, and then before you know it, you've got a whole bunch of different tech stacks and everything is completely disjointed. And they don't and talk to each other. And can you communicate with your sites in other places around the world? Because there's a digital divide as well. And so all of this needs to be taken into consideration before making a purchase. So true. 
We are talking with Marie Gervais. We're talking about the spirit of work and jobs and, and technology and the future of work. If you're not part of Googleization Nation yet, uh, we encourage you to be there. You can go to googleizationnation.com. A reminder, if you are a member of SHRM and you'd like to get some credits, you can do that by listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, you, can, uh, you can either reach out to Jason or myself about the link, or you can go to rebrand.ly forward slash GGG SHRM credit. That's rebrand.ly forward slash GGG Sherm Credit. There's a short form there. Fill it out just to prove that you were listening to that. Getting some good points, like from our guest today, Marie Gervais, about the spirit of work. Just want to make sure that you're just not getting the credit, but you actually learned something or tried to learn something. And we are going to take a very quick break. We will be back in one minute. And when we come back, I'm going to ask uh, Marie, I'm going to give you a heads up here, Marie. You mentioned something. I can't remember if it, I got this from the book or uh, one of your notes about the difference between soul enhancing and soul diminishing thoughts, words, and actions. Uh, I like that. Soul enhancing or soul diminishing, because it seems that there's a lot of soul diminishing going on in the workplace. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future, but for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock and there's no get out of jail free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, adaptability.expert. And welcome back, everybody, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, we are talking about the spirit of work with Marie Gervais. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening, for being part of Googleization Nation. Uh, just a reminder, you can get your SHRM credits by reaching out to Jason or myself or going to rebrand.ly forward slash GGG SHRM credit. If you are interested in, uh, again, we were talking a lot in the first part of the show about what there is no going back to normal. Everybody needs to adapt and change. We're certainly going through a lot of shift. Uh, I love anybody who talks about shift and that's part, that's actually part of Marie's website name. Uh, she talks about shift all the time. Part of that is having a growth mindset and growth mindset being aqplusmindset.com. So if you go up there, uh, we have a quick demo that you can also um, go through part of our, our coaching program. Uh, for free and see what it's like and hopefully you like it and and want to go through the rest marie uh right before we left off i gave you a heads up um i was intrigued by your soul enhancing 
versus soul diminishing thoughts, words, and actions. Uh, can you give us some examples of, of what of, of what that means and, and what's happening? Sure. First off, that's one of the things that is practical about the book that people can apply. Um, so soul enhancing um, uh, actions are things that expand your potential and the potential of the people around you and the potential of the environment around you and the soul diminishing actions constrict it. So you can see that whenever people want to control, bully, um, or declare war on other people, they're constricting. Everything they do is constricting. So it's aggressive, it, it shrinks people, it doesn't allow people to express themselves. Uh, only certain people are allowed to speak and they're only allowed to say certain things. You know right away that that's soul diminishing. And when people can't speak up at work, it's soul diminishing. When what they say isn't listened to, it's soul diminishing. When you go to soul enhancing, it's like people have the freedom to speak up and everybody is interested. Um, and when they say something, uh, it gets listened to and recorded and used, not attributed to somebody else or because of their status in the organization. So that's just a little bit, but it's more than that. It's also about choosing yourself to, 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 be, to do soul enhancing actions. So when you're thinking about doing something, is this, is this something that's going to pr pr produce a soul enhancing result? Um, if I say it, and if not, maybe I shouldn't say it. Um, so it's kind of like the next take on if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. It's not that you shouldn't not say anything that is, it's not that you ignore reality or that you don't state it as required when necessary, but what it is, is that you're focusing on the positive. So one way to do that is to say, well, what, you know, what virtues do you appreciate in the other person? You know, you, you know, your honesty is just wonderful. I appreciate that so much. Your candor, thank you for being showing me candor. Thank you for your courage and your passion in stating what you just said. Um, that's one way of looking at it. Another way is to say, suspending judgment and say, what don't I know? Ask myself a question. What don't I know about the situation that's causing me to feel defensive? Uh, so those kinds of things allow you to make more and more soul enhancing choices. And when you do that, you start thinking, speaking and acting in ways that are more helpful that expand people you can see the results around you you feel better you feel happy that your you know your your well-being hormones start repro reproducing quickly inside of you and other people's the same you can feel it you can see it and you can also see the results and in the very beginning when you said oh, people that are engaged at work and enjoy their jobs are you know the companies are are 23% more profitable than where people are miserable. And I'm sure it's actually higher if you had all the necessary measures in place. Because really, you're, you're, when you spread joy like that, it people want to, to just unite and work together better. They don't want to divide. So then the soul diminishing is the opposite. It divides people, it isolates them, it makes them hate other groups. Um, it, it, it encourages vice. It tells people that, you know, to dis mistrust everybody or to, or to, you know, attack people around you or to call your politician names. I'm, I'm driving to the home where my dad uh, is in his Alzheimer's home that he's in all along the road. There are signs saying rude things about how much they, what people would like to do to the, to our politicians. I mean, how, how would you like it if you drove by and that was your name on those signs? Yeah, that's soul diminishing, right? <laughs> so uh, how about saying something like, um, I'm, I'm really rooting for the government to make, you know, excellent united decisions that are going to make a difference in people's lives. Go, go government instead of, you know, so-and-so I'd like to do this destructive act to them, you know? So because we're so used to doing those kinds of things, we don't realize how harmful it is. To give you a, a tangible example of how that works, you can do a kinesiology test where you, you push down on someone someone's arm 
um, and it will remain strong if you think a positive thought and it will weaken and just drop if you think a negative thought. So if you think about them, you, and I demonstrated this in a high school with a thousand students. I picked the most buff guy in there and asked him to come up. We tested his strength first so that we could prove that he was strong. And then I asked everyone to just think, I don't like that guy. And they did that and he could not hold his arm up. He became completely weak. And then we said, I love this guy. He's the best, best, best guy in the school, right? And, and he was so strong that I hung and swung back and forth on his arm, which he couldn't do previously. So this is how important it is for us to think thoughts that are so enhancing, even if we don't say anything. That is so powerful. I, I am, I'm from really rem very naive and remotely familiar with kinesiology, but I've seen it in action so many times uh, with that. I remember when they introduced that back in, back in healthcare, um, you know, just uh, of your physical strength and your and, and how stress you know, impacts that. And it absolutely, is, it's amazing. So that's, that's a great example and a great story. Uh, Marie, we're, we're almost out of time. I mean, these sessions, our, our conversations go so quickly, but we, we like to ask, um, because I, I know as a guest, oftentimes it's like, oh, I wish they would have asked me this question. So is there anything we didn't ask you that we should have that you would like our listeners to know? How can I use this book in my workplace? <laughs> I think that the spirit of work, because it has some practical models and simple things that you can do, like choose to be so do soul enhance, have soul enhancing thoughts. Um, it it's something that could be used on a lunch and learn, or uh, you know a, a presentation or a workplace book club. Lots of workplaces have a book club. I spoke uh, recently with a manufacturing uh, CEO who had all 500 of his employees read a book, even though they may, might not have since high school. And they read the book and they they participated in, in multiple small group discussion discussions to discuss each of the chapters. And then they made some significant changes to their company based on what people came up with for applications. And I think the same thing could be done with my book. How could you use it in your workplace, lunch and learn? Well, I think that's perfect, Marie, because we touched a lot on what people can do you know, in terms of their responsibilities of the things that are within their control of what they can do. But your book also provides insights and practical tips on what organizations need to be doing in terms of work environment as well, because it's a two-way street in order to get to where we need to go. Yes, people need the skills, but also we need organizations to make some organizational intervention and, and change their culture in certain ways to help people get there too. So I love hearing that you're your resources work on both of those levers. Oh, Jason, I'm really glad you brought that up because I was going to say that earlier. And that is that this is not just another mindfulness book about how you can be a more whole person, which are all good. And I love them and I read them lots myself. But it is also talks about the individual, the community and the institutions that are involved in us having the spirit of work. So thank, love you, it. thank you for bringing that up. And it is time for our lightning round. So we're going to learn a few things about Marie that we that probably none of us uh, know unless her personal or I guess her family and friends but Jason you want to take the lead on this absolutely all right Marie is there a nickname that you had when you were a kid that you'd love to share with our listeners <laughs> there's a nickname which I really hated um it, my first name is Alexandra and my parents used to call me Lexi which you can imagine got turned into to some other things that were not so pleasant <laughs> <laughs> Always really happy to drop that nickname. Right. Well, with my last name, um, my kid, my eight-year-old is currently going through some interesting things at school of some interesting combinations of things with my last name. I so feel, totally I get feel it. your child's pain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. How about if you won the lottery today, what's the first thing you'd do? 
I would establish a foundation that would help to uh, create opportunities for people in marginalized communities to start and sustain businesses. I love that. Helping entrepreneurs chase the dream. Yeah. And it aligns to the work that you're doing as well. So I love that. Um, how about what would some of your classmates be surprised to see about you now? They'd be surprised that I um, they'd be surprised that I'm a business owner and they'd be surprised that I wrote a book. Probably they'd be surprised about both those things. I don't think they'd be surprised that I have four kids and five grandsons. <laughs> but yeah, th those are the, those two things they might be surprised at. They'd probably really be surprised that I have a podcast. That's great. And then how about, do you have like a word of the year um, or maybe a favorite book other than the own your own that you have written? You know, I actually have a favorite, a new favorite book. It's called Seven Forms of Respect by Julie Pham. And um, yeah, I, I really, I really like it because it digs into what respect means across cultures, across different, and how to, how to work in that, in a diverse culture where different people have different expectations of what it feels like to be respectful. And then since I'm holding up books, this is what mine looks like, the spirit of work. Perfect. But, yeah. And so then, I think respect, respect is the word for the year. I love that. And then last one, we're going to ask you to be Nostradamus. Let's say we're talking a year from now. What do you think we'll be talking about? You want the positive or the negative? Both. The positive is that we're going to be talking about elder care and aging population in ways we haven't thought of before. And the negative will be increased war and climate change issues that are forcing migrations. Those are the, those are the ones that I'm seeing strongly. Also, um, the positive will be children and youth moving up into things that we never thought possible that they could do. And then conversely, more mental health issues with youth. Yep, absolutely. I could totally see that in a year's time. Well, Marie, we can't thank you enough for joining us and Googleization Nation. Um, we know that you're very busy, but what are some additional ways we've been having your, your contact information scroll down at the bottom, but what are some additional ways people can get in touch with you and learn more about your work? Well, they can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably a, a great way to, to get get going. And I'm in the process of making a few changes to my LinkedIn so it aligns more closely with what I'm doing with the book and things like that. But it's, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn is great. They can go to my website. They can purchase the book. Just type in the spirit of work, Marie Gervais. Uh, I have a sister-in-law named, uh, her name is Michelle Marie Gervais, and she is also an author. So you're going to see both of our books. When you <laughs> that um, so yeah, we um, complimentary. She does complimentary health. Uh, yeah. So we're, we're related, but two different authors. Perfect. Thank you. That's excellent. Marie, it, it's been a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we'll continue this conversation. Thanks for being here today. Uh, and thank, and thanks for sharing this all about the spirit of work. Thank you for your great questions and comments. Much appreciated. Be safe there. And and uh, I was thinking when you were asking the questions, in fact, I was disappointed uh, when you said that when driving down the road and you see the uh, the political signs, we, we thought uh, Canada was this kind country. Oh, man. Uh, that's, what, that's what all my Canadian friends tell me. It's like, what, what's going on with you guys down, you know, down south of the border? Uh, but uh, apparently that's universal, right? So hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll see the same 
positives uh, next year uh, come come across that. Hopefully, that'll filter down uh, th through the border. Yeah, and like news flashes, kindness to politicians reaches an all-time high. <laughs> yeah. We can dream. Yeah, it, it, it should be interesting since we'll be in the beginning stages next year of this time of all the campaigning going on for for our next presidential uh, election. Right. So should be interesting, and we'll definitely need more beyond the beyond work we're going to need a lot of spirit yeah. uh, and, and hopefully your message transcends that uh so marie thank you very much for being part of uh the show today uh thanks for being part of googleization nation and uh until next time until next time thank you marie stay safe jason super super interesting uh, again refreshing uh, you know, we've had some great guests. It seems to be our theme of, of talking about it many different ways, making the connections back through the centuries uh, through different religions. Uh, I, I wrote that down um, in the beginning um, because we talk about this all, all we talk about unlearning all the time, you know, but it could be traced back to uh, 6,000 years, the Hindu, Hindu saying, uh, you know, don't hold on to your old stories. Absolutely. That was a big takeaway for me too, Ira was the journey of thinking that you know the way we think about work now is not how over the history of time here on earth the majority of the way people thought about work like it really is an industrial idea and we've completely just centralized our our lives around it and sadly for many people as you were sharing at the beginning of the show it's making them miserable um and so I, I, I hope that many of our listeners, if, if they're in a similar situation, that today's episode was really helpful for thinking through ways of what are the types of work that bring your soul alive and don't diminish it. And that it's not your fault. Like if, if you're working somewhere that just makes you feel drained and you get the Sunday scaries and you don't want to go in on Monday, it doesn't have to be that way. You can rethink work and its place in your life. And fortunately, there are plenty of companies that are figuring this out and are doing a great job uh, out in the, the free agent marketplace of the labor market as it is now that are getting the top talent. Um, and so would love to see more of those organizations flourish, but also for that to become the norm so that we have more workplaces where people's souls do feel filled um, whenever they work. Yeah, absolutely. And next week, we're going to uh, just give everybody a heads up. We're going to take a, a little bit of a shift. We've been talking a lot about wellness and communication and and uh, the spirit of work. Uh, we're Next week, we're going to be bringing back uh, another uh, Geek Skeezers and Googleization alumni, Kevin Grossman. He's been on a number of times. Kevin's uh, uh, heads up the talent board and and uh, talks about candidate experience. He's the author of a new book, um, but we're going to find out what what's going on with recruitment. I mean, we talk about retention and quits and and wellness in the workplace, but uh, what are some of the trends that that uh, employers are seeing uh, with recruitment uh, that are going on? So excited to hear about that and get and see what the compilation of a lot of the lessons that Kevin and the and the talent board uh, have learned over the last few years. So uh, stay tuned for next week for anybody that uh, is looking for new people, um, retention or not retention, but recruitment, talent acquisition. Um, we're uh, again, you don't want to miss that next week's show, uh, which will be right before uh, the and then we'll be taking a week, a week off uh, over the fourth. Uh, hard to wait. We're, we're, we're at that mid-year point. 
Awesome. Well, we want to thank you, Googleization Nation, for tuning in today. Um, if you have not subscribed to our Googleization Nation community, we'd love for you to. And also, please like and, and subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already uh, done so. I'm signing off for now, Jason Cochran, and I'll send it over to Ira. And I'm Ira Wolf, and thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans.